Hello and welcome back to Podcasting as Praxis. I'm David, my pronouns are he and him. I'm Jamie, my pronouns are he and him. I'm Rob, my pronouns are he and him. And I'm Alistair, my pronouns are he and him. And we are joined once again by book reader extraordinaire, Sinenkos. How are we doing, Sinenkos? Yeah, how are we doing, everyone? Are we excited for another book? <laughs> well, I only learned that we were doing this like yesterday, so yeah, I'm I'm hyped. I'm assuming it's a good book. <laughs> Whoa! Uh... <laughs> just the pure amount of resentment in David's voice just there is, is book reader extraordinary. <laughs> I, I'm I'm developing a fucking like Pavlovian response, except rather than salivating, it's just misery filling my brain. It's whatever the opposite of an endorphin is. Floods into the fucking frontal lobes. An an undorphin? <laughs> an undorphin, yeah. To be to be fair, you know how people are like, oh, I want to read a book a week, you know, over the year. That's their New Year's resolution. Well, I get to do that, but for miserable reasons. Yeah. <laughs> I get to do it to spread misery and pestilence across the land. I mean, to be fair, like Britain needs my fucking help with that shit. I mean, still. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Sin and I did our uh, New Year's resolutions, but holding a cursed monkey paw. So it's... Uh... That's right. <laughs> Love to be the literary Nurgle. <laughs> yeah, that was a really, really weird bit of my New Year's Eve Twitch stream, actually. Now that I think back to it, that was kind of the strangest part. I but... feel like the theme of when we have Sinan on is that we have to be talking about a book written by someone who has written more books than they've read. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, in some of those cases, it's one book, and that's still true. So. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I refuse to believe that uh, Robert Peston has ever read a book. <laughs> I, I'm not sure he's he's read the type of book he's trying to write here before. I, th- I think his latest non-fiction work was literally titled WTF. Uh... This, like, this, so this is this is a fiction book, isn't it? Like, actually, yes, yeah, so actually, shall I, uh, shall I give, shall I read you a little bit of the of the back cover just to get you hyped? No. Motherfuckers love a blurb. Exactly. Robert Harris's The Ghost and Bill Clinton and James Patterson's The President's Daughter meets House of Cards in the most... The President's Ghost's Daughter's House of Cards. That's it, yeah. In the most anticipated thriller of the year, The Whistleblower by Robert Peston. Anticipated by who? No one. Five cunts in Westminster. That That sounds like an underactive imagination meets the death of journalism. (laughs) <laughs> you summed up the book we can go yeah. um, <laughs> goodbye everybody but, but 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 in all seriousness i'm a bit worried that bill clinton has written a book called the president's daughter uh-huh. I'm, a bit, I'm a little bit concerned about that if nothing else i think the full title of that one is the president's daughter is missing if i'm not much mistaken but i could be wrong about that one um yeah, who, knew, who knew bill clinton forgot his daughter at a pub like david cameron that one time <laughs> left her on an island the strapline for uh, Robert Peston's most anticipated thriller of the year, The Whistleblower, is um, the hunt for a killer, dot, 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 leads all the way to the top. It comes... Uh, this is every single fucking political thriller so anyone's yeah. ever written. Yeah, leads, leads all the way to the top of what? Not the bestseller, <laughs> list, I have to imagine. <laughs> the, top well, of the, the top shelf next to the toilet. Yeah, if it ends on top of, like, a ziggurat or some shit. A fight scene on a ziggurat. I'll take it. Like that. That's a good book. That's where that <laughs> ends. 
Things need more cigarettes in it. That's what we're coming. Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah. But you know, you can't just rely on your gut instinct. It's it's been highly uh, uh, rec- it comes highly recommended this book by at least several people, uh, including Matthew Dancona, the world's saddest potato. None of these people have read this fucking book. None of these people have read it. Not no, one. I find it hard to believe that they have. Uh, Damian Lewis, for some mad fucking reason. Nick Robinson and Ed Balls thinks it's a cracking read. I think Ed Balls should fuck off for this specific opinion. I think Nick Robinson should be congratulated for a distinguished career. <laughs> uh, absolutely hate that fucking con. Half this book is, apart from the very bad plot, is essentially Robert Peston wanking himself into a salt pillar, pillar about how cool and contrarian journalists are and how independent they are in their quest for truthiness. Also, it's the same as his other fucking tedious book <laughs> or tedious fiction book. I wouldn't know. I never read it. So write what you know. <laughs> <laughs> Like this, this didn't didn't this fucking prick used to do like finance or economics? He did, yeah, like, he did for the Financial Times. Why? Why is he writing a non-fiction thriller? Why? Who? Who sanctioned this? Who allowed him to pick up a pen and do this? These people have nothing better to do with their time. Writing you got- thrillers and crime novels is what you do if you're a vaguely recognizable household name with no talent. Yeah, it's either that or write children's books. On that note, did you know that Frankie Boyle and Richard Osman both have crime novels coming out? It'll oh. be Richard Osman's third, actually. Oh, fuck me. Why Jesus. is that prick writing anything? He doesn't like he can fucking read. I, I, that's <laughs> it, right. I'm going to say it. Books and writing were a mistake. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I'm actually very mad at the Assyrians right now. I'm very mad at Rob, <laughs> frankly, because of the number of pages that he's written for this show. Uh, notes he's written for this show. If I if I could go back in time and smash all of them clay tablets and make them forget cuneiform, <laughs> I bring back the Luddites. That's it. Yeah, we need to smash all the printing presses. The Luddites, in fact, did not go far enough, as it turns out. <laughs> exactly. We go we go back to Druidic times, where there is no written record, and a special cast of us podcasts, as you might call them, are uh, trained specifically trained to have all memories stored in their brains. God, that's going to be a depressing future. When, <laughs> when podcasts it's already are the a depressing present. Uh, yeah, but like, how how could, could you it be worse if we're the only historical record that exists? <laughs> could you imagine if podcasts were like transferred via word of mouth? Like, you you can't download and listen to it. We have to like be in a room and explain like what we're going to say to one person. They have to go and tell everyone else. You say that that is any person who listens to the Joe Rogan show. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be great to have people going around explaining sun language theory by word of mouth to people. Yeah. Also, also occasionally just doing a come town bit in the middle of it because why not? The knowledge yeah. must be passed on. Anyway, let me let me give you a little taster of the uh, the sparkling text and and like I was saying, how much Robert Peston just fucking loves being a journalist. Jess and I are members of a dwindling band of hacks who resist the temptation to go through the looking glass into public relations. We prefer our mission of embarrassing the rich and powerful to manipulating the media and the public opinion on their behalf. That's how you know it's fiction. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, you've got to bear in mind, this is set in 1997. This was the poster boy election for... The exact kind of press uh, shenanigan and decision that, that you know. 
that he is he is rejecting apparently and it's also really important like he keeps setting little scenes everywhere in like the cool places of westminster journalism there's rooms in parliament there's newspaper offices filled with people and smoke and typewriters clacking away at the newsy things um and there's also lots of fancy restaurants where he describes his food now now rob he also gets really into like specifically the bit that's the the actual physical location of the lobby journalists yes he gets super into that like and it just it's the most boring fucking way you could write a book is to describe locations in great detail, which <laughs> is not really making up for the fact that you don't know how to write a thriller, Robert Peston. That and, and name-checking the specific brands of champagne, which I just thought was pretty fucking gauche. Uh... <laughs> that was, I thought that was done with you in mind, Rob, really. like. Yeah, but I mean, you know, he could do better, if, uh, is all I'm saying. Uh, so the main character, who is not Robert Peston, is a very the character very different from Robert Peston. Uh, the, he's the legally distinct Robert Peston. Legally well, distinct, yes. <laughs> Robert Reston. <laughs> Gil Peck is a very intrepid journalist. He's the political editor of the Financial Chronicle. And there's a lot of very thinly... Oh, why? Why even? Why even bothered with like this tedious like cipher that he's in- included for the name of things or the name of publication rather? Right. So this is from the first page. All that interests me is the narrative, the story, and who controls it. As a glory-seeking journalist, I sometimes reveal scandals. <laughs> yeah, not the facts or what has actually happened, just what the story is. But more often, I try to find out what the powerful and politics are planning, so I can reveal it before they have the opportunity to impose their interpretation, their spin. Ugh. Sorry, I do find it fun that uh, Robert Peston, of all people, is writing a book about how the hard-hitting, the hard-hitting newsman is going to expose the politicians when he spends, like, 90% of his life sitting in front of a TV camera going, oh, that's weird. I, I that's don't odd. understand how that works. How? Yeah, that's odd. How has this happened? He's just trying to answer the one question that matters. What's going on? <laughs> he wants to know what the deal is. <laughs> I justify what I do as an empowering the people to make up their own minds about how they are government, but most Fuck of the time, off. I'm just having fun, pissing off ministers, chief executives, their minders, and putting their secret schemes on the FT, uh, FC's front page. <laughs> <laughs> can we just can we just call it the FT? Because like yeah, we may so as well. Stupid. Yeah. No, you've got to maintain. You've got to maintain the pretense there. Call it like what did he call it? The money clock or some shit. <laughs> <laughs> the, the financial chronicle, yes. Anyway, so at the Daily Bugle. <laughs> uh, oh, oh, and by the way, I forgot to mention. There's also quite like a repeated uh, effort of uh, name dropping of of fashion brands and like fashion in general is very important to him. Uh, we know this from that amazing Times photo shoot he did like two years ago, where he looked oh like God. The, the the like John Travolta, but like high on quaaludes or something. Um, he, he looked like <laughs> he looked like someone's child who was just waiting for their parent to find them. That's how he ended up dressing. Yeah, at the end awful. of the like the school disco for for fourteen year olds or something. What if Home Alone took place in Topman? I know you're talking about Robert Peston, but all I can imagine, for some reason, what's coming to my head is Liz, Liz Truss in the big trousers. <laughs> that was awesome. Liz Truss, Liz Truss in the new in the new metal trousers. It's the same vibe. <laughs> I'm I'm fairly sure. I'm not going to look it up, but like I'm fairly sure it's the same stylist who took those photos. 
Robert Peston needs a chain for his wallet. <laughs> right. My top two shirt buttons are undone, and my round-toed shoes from Trickers are scuffed. I'm unkempt by design, just messy enough so that no one can spy my vanity. I wonder who this is. I wonder who he's referencing. It's so difficult. Kermit the Frog. <laughs> I may as well fucking be. Right. Uh, also, just a few other character traits. Uh, Gilpack has OCD, but he takes coke. He snorts coke to medicate himself. I'm not... I don't uh... think that would help. I don't think that would particularly help. To be honest with you. Uh, this is not medical advice. This podcast is don't recommend. <laughs> maybe, maybe Gilpack actually has ADHD. Yeah, and that would help. Actually, later on in the book, he gets sent to a psychiatric clinic, and they do diagnose him with ADHD. (laughs) Oh man, just one man's been self-medicating with his ADHD and not even realizing it. (laughs) King shit, in my opinion. This is actually now based. Yeah, (laughs) his family at least is based because they roundly despise him for being a journalist, which I think is cool and good. Correct. Yeah. And he also really, like, really likes free champagne offered by different types of PR people. But, you uh, know, it's just, yeah. But, but, he's, but he stands up to, uh, to the, the powerful, though. But he, <laughs> simultaneously, I accept the gifts that they give me and also bite the hand that feeds me. Exactly. He just, <laughs> he just really likes a free lunch. And, and, and there's no reason to ever question why he would And hoops them on us. Yeah. We all love a free lunch. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the other, I think, I mean, he's by far the main character, but the other one who deserves mentioning is Sidekick, I think is maybe the best word for it. Jess something, last name not really defined. Phillips. Uh, yeah, it's Jess Phillips. That's how I imagined yeah. <laughs> it. It made the story so much funnier. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she is also uh, a journalist, but mainly serves to do plot exposition and be shoveled casually into a corner when the men of the story need to, to take over. That's right. There's a lot of the men are talking in this story. Yes. <laughs> Is is there any uh, mention of working class accents in this book? Yes, Welsh <laughs> accents. Yeah, as well. yeah. Um, read, read that bit and then we can go home. <laughs> I'm sorry, yeah, I don't have it off the top of my head. I'm sorry. Jess uh, Phillips spoke, and uh, I'm sorry, but if you're gonna if you're gonna read this whole fucking book and leave out the money shot, I'm going home. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie holding us to account where we've been put on notice. Yeah. <laughs> We open the book, chapter one, and Gil is bicycling in the pouring rain to what he calls a grade B scoop while rainwater is blurring my contact lenses. I'm not sure if that's the thing that happens, but the scoop, by the way, is about Johnny Todd, Labour's immaculately groomed and smooth young leader. Oh, <sighs> Johnny Todd. <laughs> you, could, you know, these guys could come up with better names for these people. Who the fuck? Who the fuck uses the phrase "immaculately groomed"? <laughs> Man, is, is the Labour leader a fucking poodle? I don't want to say it because a lot of people have been saying it in a bad way. Yeah, I was going to say <laughs> probably the, the prosecutors at the Ghislaine Maxwell trial use that phrase quite a bit. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. It is. It, it's very 1997, by the way, because they, he keeps referencing like the English patient has just come out, blah de blah. Um, and London, by the way, is also very much a stereotype of itself. The black cab headlights are the mournful eyes of the hounds of Anderson's Anderson's tinder box. So you know that's what? he's got the soul of a poet. <laughs> 
It's just <laughs> the thing is, he's perfectly able to capture the essence of 1997 because his mind stopped developing at that point. He's just he hasn't formed new memories. That's why he's so fucking confused all the time. Because <laughs> it was the end of history, and no one needed to learn anything else past that. Despite mm-hmm. his insistence that people should explain things to him, no <laughs> events have happened after 1997. That's just a known fact. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and uh, you don't need to know anything else because it's all stopped. The the end of yeah. history and the last pestin. Yeah, and also <laughs> it's 1997 <laughs> because Gil has also has a pager and not one but two Nokia 2110s. So you know that it's 1997. Uh, look, I'm not I'm not interested in his fucking phone unless he's going to talk about uh, playing Snake on something like. Mm. He sadly does not. The scoop is of course taking place in the Groucho Club because that's where you know cool people hang out, where he meets his Labour MP source. Actually, what Tony Cannon, a Labour MP, needs to do is cut down on the substance abuse. His red eyes dart like a cornered rabbit. Obviously, a line or two ahead of me. What do you fancy to drink? Champagne. Flip an act, Tony. You have become the living embodiments of Todd's modern labor. So I do, I do want to say that it's like incredible, incredibly generous of Peston to include Neil Coyle in his book, even though he wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) I do want to say that is very generous and kind of him. Yeah. I mean, yeah. less less slurs about Asian people in this book than you would then imagine, but uh, it, it's... yeah, but there wasn't one nearby. You know, in '97, <laughs> you wouldn't have had them near Neil Coyle, that's the true, Neil Coyle that's analog. True. You know, Uh but uh, Kerami Jorbin wouldn't have been able to drive him to drink yet. So, um... <laughs> <laughs> oh God, could you imagine? <laughs> So essentially, the big scoop is that the basic rate of tax won't rise under Jolly Todd's modern Labour Party, but also not the top tax rate. And you think, wow, that's boring. This is one of the drivers of the actual plot of the whole book. Yeah, this is the entire fucking plot. <sighs> Excuse me, can you say that again, please? Because my brain just glazed over. <laughs> yeah. Now we'll talk about it again because it gets more boring as like a main plot point. <laughs> Is the central fucking theme of this book, like the central plot piece of this book, is about tax? Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you'll recall, there was a book, um, I think it was Tom Watson's book, where the central theme was, how could you sell NHS data in a bipartisan way? It was, yes, that, that was, was the point of Tom that Watson's was, book. That was the point of the book. <laughs> so, <laughs> before, before anyone rubbishes this, the idea that tax can be at the centre of a book, I'm going to remind you all, that Star Wars Episode One grossed hundreds of millions of dollars <laughs> and was all That's about a, a tax dispute. That's a film. By the way, there's a YouTube video explaining the tax dispute in detail. Yes! <laughs> like, it's like a 16-minute long YouTube video explaining the in-depth trickery involved in creating the tax dispute. And I'm like, <laughs> that is more entertaining than this book. Go watch that video and don't read this book. Anyway, uh, so Gil gets a call from his mum that his sister um, essentially is in in the IC and has been she's been hit by a van. Her dad doesn't want to go, and the family's useless, and he hasn't been in contact with his sister for reasons that will become clear later in in the book. His sister was something quite high up in the treasury, either some civil servant person, uh, but unfortunately she dies in hospital as well as a and there is a mysterious stranger asking how she is who leaves before Gil Peck can, can get a closer look. Um, and then we get into essentially family morning time. Uh, the whole family comes together for the first time. They're all sort of lapsed London Jews, I think is the best way to frame it. And his dad is basically like a character, a caricature of Ralph Miliband. Like a, a, a socialist, oh. borderline communist um, academic. 
it's kind of a mix between his dad and Ralph Miliband. Because his dad it was like a labor peer and an economist as well, who like wrote a shit ton of like boring bollocks, basically. Yeah. So it's basically like, what if his dad was interesting? Which I guess does kind of lead you to Ralph Miliband. Yes. <laughs> mm. Also, his dad is very disappointed in him, which I think is about correct. Yeah, uh, sounds about right. And yeah. I like to think that Ralph Miliband yeah. would also be very disappointed in his <laughs> True, son. Truly, the political media elite in this country is just an entire cavalcade of failed sons and daughters. He, yes. Oh, yeah. Like, if you look up any random fucking journalist that you see on Twitter, their Wikipedia page has, like, their parents with Wikipedia pages. And it's like, oh, I wonder what's going on here. I wonder why, why this has happened. <laughs> and it's, all, it's always some fucking baron or some shit. Uh, anyway, her Claire's former assistant, now former assistant, uh, Jeremy uh, pops up to feel bad about things and say that Claire was acting weird, cancelling meetings, doing weird things, essentially, uh, in the weeks leading to her death and, and the, the car accident. Mm. So uh, we get to the funeral. And remember, once again, it's 1997, and we know this now through a fashion statement. I'm in my Jean-Paul Gaultier three-quarter length deep blue coat, grey narrow legged Paul Smith suit, and electric electric blue wide Kenzo tie. I'd have just start with I put on my Robin Wizard hat myself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I like the tie. I think the tie is a good choice. Actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you like- I mean, essentially what we have is a funeral scene that is almost word for word uh, the funeral scene from Four Weddings and a Funeral, where uh, uh, some actor does some poetry reading. Um, And of course, we know now that uh, Claire, apart from being a very successful civil servant, was also in the Cambridge Footlights, because of of course she was. Uh, The psychic (sighs) damage is real. Every time I remember something about this book, it gets worse. Gil being the obsessive compulsive journal that he is, he can't stop journaling uh, at the funeral. So he uh, corners the Chancellor of the Exchequer who's dropped by and asks him when the next election's going to be, which is, of course, a very fucking uh, classy <laughs> move. <laughs> Hard-hitting journalism right there. <laughs> excuse me, mister, when will the next election be? I'm not talking to you. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like, excuse me, government, who are 20 points behind in the polls. When do you reckon the next election might be? You thinking of calling a snap one so you can just get out the door a bit quicker? <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck are you doing? Like, Assistant Jeremy also pops back up and he has more scoops and things that don't appear relevant, but of course are relevant later on. And it has something to do with um, tax breaks to given to, ta- to pension funds. It's a riveting base for a thriller. And when I said it gets more boring, this is how boring it is. The main plot of the book revolves around a withdrawal of a specific set of tax credits on dividends for the pension fund industry. What? Mm-hmm. I'm so I, I just had to recompose myself and put myself back on my chair. How blown away I was by that! My brain genuinely like I I was actually just I just got like a thing on my Twitter about Liz Truss, and then I was listening to that, and I was like, "What the fuck's just happened?" <laughs> I'm now I'm. I've read yeah. this and I'm confused by it again. Um, I mean, I understand it, but even I find it boring, and that's really fucking saying yeah. something. Hearing that sentence is like the equivalent of my, like, the brain equivalent of one of those bullets that gets fired into the ballistic gel that you can, like, <laughs> see it slow down. That's what's just happened to my brain. I, fuck off. Like, I can't, I can't deal with this. But also, I do, want, I do want to make an observation, which is that you might have noticed that this thriller is actually the most boring book you've ever heard about. 
Uh, that's where you're wrong. I've never heard of this book. <laughs> <laughs> you're repressing the memory as we go through it. But I do want to point out that he's done. Robert Peston has clearly like looked up a Google like or like a WikiHow on how to write a thriller because all the chapters are really short. Yeah, because he's trying to give it pace, but it's so boring it just extends itself back out. <laughs> yeah. So instead of going to the wake, uh, Gil uh, ends up laying pipe because he's just really fucking cool. An hour and a quarter later, I am on my back. Marilyn Crawl is <laughs> naked is beside me. It's so fucking funny. Is that an hour and a quarter specifically? <laughs> I I too time myself my appointments. This how, how long was the uh, how long was the drive? <laughs> <laughs> or is he just fucking her at the funeral on top of the coffin? Oh yeah, on the coffin. <laughs> That's ballsy. I got to be fair. <laughs> Marilyn Crow is naked beside me, smoking. The room is a tip. Underwear and clothes everywhere. Oh, that's how you know it's 1997, because you can smoke indoors. Yeah. <laughs> An unemptied ashtray on a broken chair, worse than a student room. The thing is, the way that was written, I was reading that, I was like, it sounded like there was more than one, there was like more than two pairs of underwear all over the room, like he's just left a bunch of his pants on the floor. <laughs> that would also not so like, surprise me. <laughs> Marilyn Kroll is a senior advisor to Johnny Todd and has all the knowledge. I don't care. You should get on with it. <laughs> Some of us have got work in the morning. <laughs> you literally don't. <laughs> no. You do, you've got this to edit. You've got this to fucking edit. <laughs> I, I got work in the morning and frankly I will skip it if I have to. She Just quickly established on. herself as one of his most important aides, part policy advisor, part gatekeeper. She is competitive, tough, funny, cynical. And I've never been with anyone who shouts louder at orgasm. Uh. <laughs> it does. It does speak volumes, though. That uh, like one of it, one of his key sources is just someone who has he, he has ultimate access to. <laughs> mm. So we get some boring family shit, which I wrote down, but I won't bother repeating. And it turns out that he he had been missing his pager, but he finds it under Marilyn's bed. Um, wow! But it fell I mean, out because he was places he could have found it. <laughs> <laughs> wow! Yeah. Also. How how fucking basic is it that his like fucking you know what I mean like his his play to establish just how fucking like hot and horny this woman is is that she shouts really loudly when she comes do you know what I mean <laughs> that's that's peak centrist dad shit that like isn't it you know what I mean yeah. oh, that's just reminded me of that party sex survey no no oh, no yeah, no. yeah. <laughs> and then the Dems like number one fantasy well Lib Dems were basically chasers and also they liked what killed other that's killed fuck. an episode before we should definitely <laughs> yes, be talking about that <laughs> I didn't know I wouldn't have brought it up otherwise but yeah who who doesn't who doesn't love a loud woman in bed eh? do you know what I mean fucking Robert Peston sitting around on OnlyFans searching but- for megaphones <laughs> <laughs> as, a, as, a, as a guy who has attended, as a guy who's attended many metal gigs, my hearing is shot, so I do need it to be like that. <laughs> so like so. what, what you need is haptic feedback. <laughs> yeah. Does a woman have to like roar like a fucking jumbo jet for you to notice anything, Sinan, or is it? Yeah. I, I expect unclean vocalization, like in the bands that I listen to. Like, that what keeps going over David's house and interrupting the podcast. Yeah, I'm recording live from my Boeing 747 that I used to fucking. Um. Anyway, back to the office we go. Collectively, we are known as The Lobby. We work for rival publications, are ostensibly in competition with each other, but the weight of history 
history in this physical space has oh, turned us where we has turned Jesus us into a sort of guild. Fucking Christ, this guy has tickets to himself. <laughs> <laughs> there is naked collusion between us and the common enemy, the Prime Minister and his Downing Street machine. But the thing is, you can write this and then like in real life be like, I don't see any fucking problem. But he writes it like it's a fucking problem here. Is the Downing Street machine he mentions a fucking Gundam? It's <laughs> <laughs> just stay at this level of interesting for the entire book. Yeah, it's pretty much this. Look, I look. I'm going to be honest with you. When I said this was the hardest book to read, like the Paul Mason sex book, at least had like pacing. And you well, know, I like... mean, who doesn't like Street Fighter? Yeah, <laughs> so we want to get we get more hints, and apparently his dead sister Claire was talking to other finance journalists about tax breaks for pension funds. You know, the pl- the motive of the book, and also Gil was hung over again because he was drinking one or two bottles of wine at the Groucho Club. He's so cool. Gil's so he's uh. so cool. <laughs> uh, um, does, does he specify what kinds of wine? Prison wine. <laughs> Oh, good. Well, I just, I just love uh, reading it like a fucking travelogue of what someone <laughs> ate and drank, but like they work for the Westminster lobby. It's like a boring version of Game of Thrones because at least we're in Game what, of Thrones. Game of Thrones, then. Yeah, well, I mean, I was going to say like in the food description because at least the food descriptions in it are fucking good. Yeah, so basically the, 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 the driving motive behind the plot is that Claire, before she was m- killed, b- died, murdered. Um, sorry, that's a spoiler for later. Killed she, murdered. She, 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 she's... <laughs> Fucking demolition man has entered the chat there. <laughs> I was trying to say died because I didn't want to spoil her that she's actually murdered, but oh, she no. was murdered. What a fucking surprise. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, to be fair, given that we mentioned the like strap line of the book, which contains the word, like, murder. the hunt for a killer. Yeah, yeah. Like, I feel like it was yeah, maybe it the be, least could be the hunt for twist. a silent killer. Maybe it was his best <laughs> off that did her in. <laughs> I don't understand how that could hurt you. It has best right in the name. <laughs> a killer who's completely silent in bed. Um, basically, uh, his sister Claire found found a way to take a bunch of tax credits from pension funds that don't need them because they're overfunded. And that would n- net the government $5 billion without hurting rich people or pensioners or poor oh people. Oh my god. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> fucking just... <laughs> I fucking hate this, this shit. is this is fucking like incredibly so incredibly born of a mind that doesn't like cognizant of the concept of like class conflict. It's, if I did it by numbers, Foxstein, I'm not interested <laughs> in this at all. Please fuck off. So they, uh, he and sidekick Jess decide to publish a story about this whole rifting affair, and they ring the the treasury to get uh, uh, to give them the opportunity to get get a quote in. Five minutes later, he gets a call from uh, the chancellor uh, Kendall himself, who th- who threatens that if they publish this story about the tax credits and pension funds, um, that they will ruin the reputation of his dead sister. He really ought to know, every politician ought to know, that if you want to kill a story, never intimidate a journalist. Nothing gets my back up, back up more than being told what to do. Yeah but, yeah, but like, this is the thing. This is not how it works in real life at all. Like, they wouldn't have bothered intimidating him. That is... Uh, yeah, they wouldn't have needed to because he just would not have reported it without asking nicely first. Yeah, he would have had to have asked permission. You know, yeah. that's I how mean, this I mean, works. It's... Like it's just it's just the you know the Chomsky things. Like if 
you were the kind of person that would be inconvenient for the powerful and media, etc., then you just wouldn't have this fucking job. But, like, nowhere in this book is that ever going to sort of play any kind of role whatsoever. Like, I mean, like, the credit to him. He has actually managed to fictionalise some of it. (laughs) (laughs) The thing is, like, the one thing that's, like, true to life about this is, like, when his editor calls him and tells him to knock it the fuck off. There wouldn't have been any of this other fucking carry-on. It would have just been like, hey, idiot, stop. true to life about all of this is that it's making me want to die. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, my my next note after like his editor calls and says you can't write about that. Uh, my next note is oh god, it's boring and convoluted. And I think the chapter ends with him calling a BDSM sex line because of course. Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah it does. I, fact, Never brought up yeah. again, by the way. Just just dropped in there casually. Yeah. Well, because well, because, well, because yeah, well, because the explicit um, the a woman picks up and pretends to be cross. Have you been a bad boy? I can't imagine that existing outside of like very specific like things. Well, I mean, she, so, she, he also then says, oh, God, my phone bill is going to be so high. So I think the implication is pretty clear that he's just, like, doing phone lines. Yeah, because, not, once again, it's 1997, and that's... It's not at all important, yeah, but, but that, it is 1997. That's how you did it back then. You know, like, you didn't have, like, high-speed internet shit back then. Yeah. You know, it took, it took, like, half an hour to download a picture of a woman in slightly nice, like, leather clothing. Like, of course you got a call. Yeah, there, there was no, there was no fat life back then. <laughs> you, just had, you had to ring like a fucking number out the back of a magazine if you, wanted, if you wanted to like fucking. Do you know what I mean? Do some of that high octane and summer shit or whatever it is Robert Peston thinks is living on the edge. I remember when I was a kid and we found like the back pages of these magazines and we we're like, oh, what the fuck is this? And thankfully, thankfully, we never fucking called it. But Jesus Christ. <laughs> anyway, the the general election is called by not ma- by not major, and um, now the the chapters of the book also are sort of a countdown to the election date. So presumably the book is over when the election uh, is over running for labor are johnny todd definitely not blair his uh, shadow chancellor uh, neville tudor who is not scottish but incredibly welsh instead and he he has like (laughs) (laughs) yeah this is what like there's a there is a cipher just applied to the things that robert peston is aware of from 1997 (laughs) countries news publications people you know it's going so if gordon brown was scottish how would this make it less obvious if he was welsh <laughs> which in fact has made it more obvious that it's very clearly meant to be gordon brown and also the more neville tudor drinks the more like elongated and burr like his r's get because that's what happens with welsh people that's right um, <laughs> that's correct actually uh, and during his launch meeting for the election, Johnny Todd confirms that this pension tax business is now part of the new Labour platform. So, you know, it's really important. And they have an interview later where not Tony Blair says, I'm a pretty honest guy, um, and mentions that Claire came to see him a few times to talk about this, essentially. Blah, blah, blah. There's an whole, but another bunch of meetings that is incredibly boring where uh, Gil Peck reveals that he likes free champagne and free lunches at expensive restaurants. Um, uh-huh. and, mm-hmm. Yeah, me too, mate. You're not fucking special. Like, come on. <laughs> and there's probably a break in in his flat, and one of his, uh, his journalism notebooks full of journalism gets stolen. <laughs> now he can't read. Oh, no. <laughs> if only he took his power to write. Sir, my notebook's in another school. You wouldn't know it, please. (laughs) (laughs) 
Also, there's a guy, uh, there's, there's, there's not Rupert Murdoch, who I think we're just going to refer to as Ro- Ro- Rupert Murdoch because he's just easier. Yeah, um, but he's like South African Rupert Murdoch. Yeah, he's, he's Elon Musk. <laughs> he's Elon Murdoch. There you go. Anyway, Elon Murdoch wants to buy a TV channel advised by a bank called Sean, which is a stand-in for Goldman Sachs. And that will be plot relevant later on because, you know, pension funds, etc., etc. Um, and once again, for some reason, it's incredibly important that we're aware of how Gil is dressed at all times. Today, I'm wearing my navy blue three-quarter length Jean-Paul Gaultier coat, perhaps my proudest sartorial possession, and an understated grey ca- cashmere Dunhill scarf. Fuck off. It's just not very good, though, is it? Like that's the thing. Like this, this is this is such like hack writing. This is how, this is like someone watched like a YouTube video on how to write good, and then didn't really f- watch to the end of the video and just wrote the sort of bits. This is like someone someone put on a how to write good video and then immediately had to field a twenty seven minute phone call from their dad. <laughs> <laughs> not that that's ever happened to me. Um, and it. And it turns out the uh, the current Chancellor of the Exchequer, who threatened um, Gil Peck before, dropped the very boring tax credit thing right uh, right after meeting a Goldman Sachs banker at the last minute. Um, and the banker is also an old college friend of uh, Gil Peck's because they used to deal drugs together or take drugs together. What were the drugs? Were the drugs in question like Lemsip Extra Strength or some shit? <laughs> I think it was. Think it was oregano. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you dry out a banana peel in just the right way, you can scrape it off and smoke it. <laughs> it would it'd be so much better if it, though, they were just like wonked out on ketamine like this whole time rather than doing like cool cocaine. It just like. It'd, at a it'd, weird it'd be so much better if I was apartment. fucking like wanked out on ketamine right now. I can tell you that oh, much. Oh man, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, there's another phone call with the brother-in-law, uh, and it turns out that Claire had a lot of alcohol in her blood, but she doesn't drink, and also she was pregnant at the time of being run over by the mysterious van. Uh, so you know, lots of the things going on, um, and Gil wow, keeps. That sure is a lot of facts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is there no like? Is there no fucking? Uh discrediting fact about the pregnancy that we also like you know what i mean oh she was she was pissed to fuck when she got hit by the van but she didn't drink <laughs> well she was pregnant but she never like drank you know what i mean or some shit like that she was like hit by a van but she never drank well i mean it's it's heavily implied that she also forgot to wear her cycling helmet which is mentioned many times and that well i mean that'll happen when you never drink <laughs> <laughs> Look, I respect Peston for putting in a PSA about uh, personal safety equipment while you're riding your bike. Um, essentially, he gets told off several times by his editor and the lawyers of the Financial Times Chronicle that he's not allowed to pursue the boring tax credit story because the Financial Chronicle is also owned by Elon. Because it's putting putting everyone that hears about it to sleep. These people are talking sense. Why Why is he like got to fucking, do you know what I mean, argue with them? There is genuinely a line in this book, it's quite a bit early on, where like he's having the tax credit thing explained to him, he's like, God, I feel like I want to die. And I'm like, yes, you should have followed that fucking instinct <laughs> and not written an entire book with this as the plot. See, book. have you read this entire book and did a guy from YouTube leap out on the last page and tell you it was all a prank, bro? <laughs> no, sadly not. Um, yeah, so because as it turns out, the Financial Chronicle is owned is also owned by Elon Murdoch, and now uh, his cronies are leaning on him via a 
essentially standing for Rebecca Brooks. And his editor is telling him to back off again. But there are shenanigans being performed by powerful people who people who want this. Wait, wait no. Hold, hold on, though, right? If, if they got his sister pissed up and hit her with a van, <laughs> why don't they just do the same thing to him? They try that later. Very inefficiently, I, I might add. Um uh, the, the man's on too much cocaine. <laughs> possibly it. knock him out. He's on all. too much news juice, Alistair. <laughs> I'm willing to bet he's actually wearing a helmet, thus completing <laughs> and sealing the PSA, which, to be fair, is to be expected with a man so riven with head injuries as Robert Peston. Wearing his plus two helmet of van immunity. <laughs> bouncing him further and further down the street. Why, this is my cocaine snorting helmet. Don't you have one? <laughs> Imagine him it's going, by Armani, don't you know? <laughs> Some bald guy in a white transit just repeatedly running into him at speed and getting incredibly, increasingly frustrated at like how little damage it's doing. <laughs> it's him turning around saying, like, the joke's on you, that cocaine was medicinal. Yeah. <laughs> Most most other people would have died from this repeated head trauma, but somehow his brain just went limp. <laughs> <laughs> so there is uh, Gil has now decided that the the killer fan was not an accident, but actually a premeditated murder. So they go looking for uh, uh, the driver, who is Polish, mentioned several times that he is Polish, uh, and they're dr- so it's him and sidekick. Did he drink? <laughs> <laughs> um, so him and sidekick Jessica are driving over I take my eyes off the road for a second and glance at her with a mix of pride and anticipation please tell me you did half inch a private letter to the editor of course not she says indignantly I left it exactly where I found it after I'd taken a photocopy that's my girl don't patronize me you sexist twat sparkling dialogue wow. I, I, like, I like his retort which is, I was being postmodern and ironic. Like, <laughs> I was actually joking. I was, it was actually a bit. Um, you can't yeah, be mad just, at me for it's bits. It's just a prank, bro. Yeah. <laughs> it turns out the YouTuber did emerge from my book and tell me it was a prank. It was just in the middle of the book, not the end. Which really should have been a warning sign, actually, to not continue. But alas. He's actually the chief political editor for Fire. <laughs> 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 So it turns out that the uh, editor, uh, via the the photocopied letter, that the editor has uh, shares in Not Murdoch. So he has a vested interest in having uh, the the Murdoch TV merger deal go ahead. And we now know this because some plot magic has gone on. And also it turns out that the uh, driver of the killer van is not only Polish, but he's also gone and he was a security consultant. Uh, the, the way you're saying killer van makes me think of that episode of Future On where Bender yeah. turns into the car. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's such a good episode as well. <laughs> Peston, you've either drunk too much alcohol or not enough. This is making me pine for that shitty Scottish, like, not quite Scotland oh, book that we read the other week. Oh, yeah. We were talking about me and Rob with, Rob DM me, like, I genuinely preferred, um, what was it, Gulag Caledonia over this. Yeah, because that <laughs> like, was yeah. way madder yeah. than this. That was written by someone who was just off out of their tree. That was way more fun. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, anyway, so there's another, yet another in a long series of meetings where Gil Peck is, they're trying to dissuade him off the case. So he's lured or summoned to um, Elon Murdoch's 
headquarters, which is like a ridiculous caricature of a CEO office with like uh, Louis Quinze furniture and high mirrors. And um, for some reason, all the art on the wall is of naked women, which is, I don't know why that's in there, except for one uh, uh, picture behind his desk, which is of a dog. And he says, oh, what's that dog? What's that picture? And he says, that was the family dog. And then later on, he hears a story about how um, the dog stole some dinner off Elon Elon Murdoch's son's plate and then Elon Murdoch went out and shot the dog in the face because that's a measure of how hard uh, he, he is Man. so it's very important yeah. that we know that remember when the media moguls were hard yeah. that's what we're being asked here Peston saw Succession and thought, wow, that's a really good representation of uh, a man like Rupert Murdoch. Best not do anything like that. (laughs) (laughs) Also, he's perfectly cool with phone hacking as long as other papers do it, not the Financial Chronicle Times, uh, because that allows him to get closer to the truth, because he now believes, for reasons that I really won't bother getting into, that the person who ordered the hit on his sister was the current serving chancellor, a guy called Kendall. (laughs) Just, just think, just thinking about it though. Could like, could you imagine how uh, phone hacking would have been received if it had been rather than, you know, unfortunate, essentially unfortunate members of the public and like celebrities? It was like actually politicians and shit, and like the actual bad shit that they were doing was um, obtained. Yeah, through wait, that. was um, was phone hacking before or after the expenses scandal? Because. If it was after, people would have fucking loved this shit. They would have been like, yeah, let's hack more phones. <laughs> yeah. That's a good question. I don't remember. I genuinely can't I fucking remember. Was, no. I think it was Yeah, like, expenses. I'm genuinely stumped. I think it was expenses that came first. Well, yeah, because News of the World must have existed after the expenses scandal, right? Yeah. Uh, anyway, so Gil ends up telling all his theories to Marilyn, his, uh, his girlfriend slash labor advisor person, uh, on what I can only call the most stereotypical uh, council estate that's ever been written down uh, in, in a book up till now. Because there's a lot of crime doing, and you know, hope has gone from this place. But it turns out yeah, that there are a bunch of there are a bunch of lads riding quad bikes, labor and peace. That's um. But it turns out that uh, that Johnny Not Blair is also there because he wants to do good for people on the state uh, on the states, and the way he wants to do that is by cutting taxes. What you've said just now about taxes being too low, Not Blair continues, is simplistic. Socialism worthy of the name isn't a commitment to soaking the rich; it's a commitment to lifting up the poor. My labor, modern labor, believes in creating the conditions in which the economy can grow faster, expanding the size of the cake so that everybody can have more. That may even require some taxes to be cut. I fucking hate this shit because that's the most incongruent fucking verbal diarrhea about economics I've ever heard. <laughs> it's it's actually very true to fucking Blair. It is Blair. Like, that's 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 absolutely like, that's the Blairism. Like like Pest Peston has nailed the cadence and you know the the, the sort of substance such that there is of Blair. So you well, yeah, because that's that's, like, that's the last memory that he's committed to his long term memory bank, right? Yeah. <laughs> his his mind is incapable of making new political memories as we've discussed. Exactly. A tragic accident occurred, and it was the Labour landslide in like seven. <laughs> anyway, Gilpeck ends up ignoring his day job and like being an actual political editor for 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 a paper uh, because he's become really convinced that the Chancellor has killed his sister. So, under the guise of doing an interview, he arranges a meeting with him on the train, uh, which it 
goes fucking totally sideways because essentially the chancellor laughs him out of the room and it's very clear that he hasn't done it he comes back and then his editor says you have to go to like a treatment facility because obviously you're like a cokehead and an alcoholic and you're grieving your sister so we're packing you off to like expensive treatment feel whatever uh, and he d- he's, he's disco elysium himself but with actual support <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so we get some. I mean, there are. I don't even understand why this this whole tra- chapter about him being in like the 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 mental facility patch up unit like exists essentially. Um, but this is this is some fine words from his therapists. I can see on the surface you are a great success, very much at the forefront of your profession. But that doesn't mean you don't have an addiction problem. Have you heard of the expression high functioning addict? I like the idea of being high functioning. I want to smirk, but I realize that I do that I must look like a fool to her. Hey man, have I have I heard the expression high functioning addict? Yeah, definitely. Robert Peston doing self therapy through writing a book for his self diagnosis of addiction <laughs> and purely on the back of being quote a politics junkie. I fucking hate all of this. Oh, oh, speaking of politics junkies, there is one addiction, uh, however, that is causing me intense pain in this, for its forced absence. Hackery. I can't bear to be away from the action, not knowing what's going on, who's talking to who, who's up and who's down. I'll go mad if I can't escape this prison soon. Robert, you never know what's going on. You're always asking <laughs> this. Yeah. You know, he's desperate to know the most inconsequential horseshit parts of the fucking, like political media sphere who who's like going to be in the cabinet or whatever when literally none of this matters when you know the political like does anybody movements are going to be exactly the same yeah. regardless of who's pulling the lever uh, yeah also it turns out that like as i said at the start it turns out that uh, all gill might actually have uh, adhd and it was around this point in the book that i was so bored out of my mind that i started reading uh, gill Peck's dialogue as gill from the simpsons and that made it way yeah. way funnier <laughs> <laughs> oh, this old girl <laughs> keeps fucking it. <laughs> but it turns out all Gil isn't crazy. There really is a conspiracy of powerful people who wanted to kill his sister for changes to um, how dividend payments to pension funds are taxed. <laughs> I, I just hate. I just hate that every single time you speak about it. To be honest. The thing is, this is such. This is such like a. This is literally peanuts to a government. Yes, like. No one, no one is being like. This is the thing that's amazing about Robert Peston's imagination, which is that this seems like a sufficiently big deal to kill someone over. When all they do is sack the civil servant and give him a massive payoff if it came to it. Yeah, so, yeah, like, it was a, it was a way bigger deal when the government killed David Kelly. So I mean, like, pfft. yeah, I mean that, and no one got fucking you know dealt with about that. Yeah, uh, someone definitely got a payoff. But... If only Gil Peck was around. Yeah, Gil Peck would have solved this mystery. I mean, hasn't Alistair Campbell gone on TV shows and intimated that he <laughs> yes. killed David yes. So, like, I mean, I feel like we're safe in saying it at this point. <laughs> Uh, and then his then his he, his dad rings him his dad who's like thought that he's been a disappointment all his life and he says actually son and I he believe turns in out you he's right 
<laughs> no, he says, uh, actually, son, I believe in you. And like then with renewed spirit, he checks himself out of the treatment facility um, and goes back on his uh, his quest for truth. Wow, it turns out his real addiction was to his father's love. <laughs> yeah, I, I genuinely yeah. thought his father would be like, I'm just going to the shop to get cigarettes. I'll be right back and then just never return. <laughs> yeah. uh, anyway, it turns out uh, through uh, another bit of like absolute plot magic, courtesy of a... a another banker who works with not Coots, the, the private bankers of the Queen, that there's a big hole in not News News International's uh, pension fund uh, because not Elon Murdoch has in- invested a lot of its money into the Albion superhighway. Stop, stop prefixing all of this shit with not. It's giving me a fucking headache. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm having enough trouble not following a single fucking thing you're saying already <laughs> without, like, you know what I mean, double negatives littered everywhere. <laughs> All right. So essentially, what has happened? This is great. Should we be- not don't do what not Donny don't do. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly correct. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> this is this this book has melted my brain worse than the Paul Mason sex book. Yeah. I'm just gonna put that out there. Anyway, the the, the great mystery behind the plot is. Um, Rupert Murdoch has used two billion of the News of the World pension pot to invest in uh, high te- in a high tech scheme called the Albion Superhighway, which goes bust. Therefore, there's a two billion hole in the pension fund, and if the tax credit amendment would have gone through, that. Claire designed that would have forced the auditors to take a look at the pensions on the books of the news of the world and that would have declared that there's a hole in the finances and then they couldn't do the merger and that's and why Claire the had whole house of cards would have dominoed over in one <laughs> fell swoop yes that is exactly and, and and now we're on a quest to prove this theory which is the truth uh the way they prove yes. it they go they go back to the to the polish assassins uh, house uh, which has now been abandoned, but literally inside they find like uh, uh, empty bottles of My vodka. Crimes. Literally, yeah, <laughs> they find an envelope with news of the world written on it, which essentially says like cash was in here. <laughs> this is literally what happened, like basically what happened in Turkey when they um they had like a government scandal about uh, corruption because they literally had like shoe boxes with money written on them. When they were stealing money. <laughs> like, this is basic. And there's like a recorded phone call of like the president's son calling uh, the president being like, Dad, how do I hide the money? <laughs> like, just absolutely incredible. I thought like ending the phone call with, oh, it's too hot today. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it was really fucking bad. Yeah, and essentially there's another sh- another boring party where people drink bad wine um, and Gil and Jess get their hands on the gym bag with another mycrimes.txt file that confirms the whole raid on the pension scheme thing that we were just talking about that was too boring to follow. If um, I had saved it as a PDF, yes. you know, we would have been able to read it. It's 1997, it. you couldn't have rotated it back then. Um. <laughs> exactly. You just made it upside down. It was impossible. Yeah. Don't be one point shit. <laughs> he, for reasons that I also don't bother going into, he needs to work together for someone who works for the Sun. Uh, for the editor is described as such. For all that I loathe Wilkerson's politics and ethics, he's a pro who has broken more stories over the past thirty years than many newspapers <laughs> achieve in their history. He might be a huge sack of shit, but by God, is he prolific. <laughs> <laughs> 
If the sun ever stopped selling itself on its daily menu of tits and bums and bile, its journalism might actually be noticed. Oh, fuck you, Robert. <laughs> <laughs> I hope this cunt gets crabs, but not like, you know, like not like regular ones, like actual crabs from the seaside. <laughs> Just poking out of his fucking waistband everywhere he goes. He, he tries to get, like, more Britain mycrime.txt uh, uh, files, and but then he gets gets caught by Rupert Murdoch and his henchmen. Uh, he has to, to flee out, Ugh. but then they still catch him and they drag him back into uh, Rupert Murdoch's uh, waiting limousine of evil, essentially. Uh, at which point we get the big pointless confrontation uh, where the edit, not the editor of The Sun, let's say the editor of the News of the World at the time, who is not Rebecca Brooks, but a big burly guy uh, who mm-hmm. takes him uh, to throw him over, over the railing of a bridge and make it look like a suicide. But then Gil mm-hmm. Peck is really angry with him and says, you're not a journalist. Actually, Jock, when I started out, you were one of my heroes. I used to think you were a journalist, but you were always a nonce, weren't you? <laughs> oh, Jock! Like Jock's full name is fucking incredible. Hold on, let me try and find Jock's full name because it's fucking ridiculous. Jock a- Stratum. Jock Stratum. Yes, that's- Jock Stratum. That's what it is. <laughs> Jock Stratum. What the? Fuck? What? Why is that name so dangerously close to Jock Strap? <laughs> <laughs> well, who knows? Like. I mean, it was just one of those names that it was one of the few things that stood out in this incredibly boring book was that there was a character called Jock. <laughs> Do you think he's a Rovers fan? <laughs> <laughs> Essentially, there's some incredibly dumb shenanigans where, like, a big burly editor and an ex special forces soldier failed to dropkick a, a drug addict journal over a bridge. Because he's too clever for them, he jumps over and then um, uh, Jock Stratton. Well, that, that's the. That's because of the drugs. If they were on drugs as well, they'd easily outsmart them. <laughs> That's a, a pro tip for any children listening that parents, your parents don't want you to know. Drugs make you clever. <laughs> no. And faster. Dr- drugs definitely can enhance elements of yourself. If the game Disco Elysium has taught me anything, it's that. <laughs> it's true. I, w- I would have been unable to kick Measurehead in the head had I not drunk wine beforehand. So... <laughs> What now? Checkmate. Yeah, but what wine were you drinking? Were you drinking decent champagne or shit Australian Shiraz that you have to pour away like Gil Peck? Grouch your club toilet wine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so brave Gil Peck's escape by leaping across a footbridge like a big action hero. And then, um, uh, what's his name again? Jock Stratum gets hit by a bus and dies instead. Um <laughs> How does, he get hit by a, just... how does he get hit by a bus on a footbridge? Because he misses his footing and then falls onto a road bridge or something. The spatial geometry <laughs> of this scene is quite confusing. And this yeah, fucking I'm... non-Euclidean bridge that seems to exist in London. <laughs> <laughs> it's every bridge in London. I've been there recently. They were all non-Euclidean and very confusing. <laughs> well, you see, the, the problem here is, though, that like Jock wasn't on drugs. It's like that bit in the Matrix, you know, when he tells him to free his mind and then jumps between the two buildings. If he was on the drugs to free his mind, he'd have like easily made it to the fucking hovercraft bay <laughs> or whatever the fuck they were chasing each other over. <laughs> <laughs> we're getting close to the end of the book now. Just for, so for, for your convenience. Thank fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie seems genuinely angry. To yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, 
That's why we keep inviting him back. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it's it's uh, it's election uh, deathmatch day, and it's a beautiful English spring day because the Tories are probably going to lose because he fed all his stories about the um, about the Chancellor, who turns out not to have been sleeping with Claire, but with Claire's assistant, um, and sort of forcing himself on him because the Chancellor is secretly gay, and that's revealed, so then the Tories uh, are even further wow. behind. Want, does, Gil, does Gil do any uh, any reflection on how it's, uh, how it's wrong that someone should uh, it's not- have their political career destroyed for being, like, found out for being gay? Well, it was 1997. It's 1997. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> yeah, it was fine. Yeah, just yeah. fine. It's just no, 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 uh, no comments to be made. Yeah, yeah, just completely goes without passing. And the, like, this is just the business. It, they also give another journal the incredibly convoluted and boring tax credit story, for which that journal will probably be named Journalist of the Year. Oh, the fabled Orwell Prize. <laughs> <laughs> I think this might predate the predate the Orwell Prize, actually, right? Um, unless it's been around forever. I just seem to have only heard about it in the last like. Three I assume years. it's existed since 1984. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely older than the the true Orwell Prize from our friends over at uh, We Don't Talk About the, the Weather, which is the real award, at mm. least in my mind. That's the only one that counts. Exactly. Yeah. Being honest. yeah. <laughs> Between these two stories, the Tories are probably going to lose. Rupert Murdoch is like the whole pension shenanigans scheme has been revealed, so he might not get to buy his news channel, and all is is well. And Gil is turning over a, a, a new, less coke-addled leaf, and he is displaying big uncle vibes by going to visit the sons of his dead uh, dead sister. But then there's a big old book of, of Claire's stuff, uh, which came back from the treasury, and inside it is a little sort of diary, of, of specifically a file of facts, because once again, it is 1997, saying, that the person who impregnated her wasn't the chancellor it was actually johnny todd because they'd been having an affair shocking that? wow that's the that's, that's blair. blair oh okay <laughs> didn't wasn't blair banging murdoch's wife L- wendy deng that, yeah that was that later whole... yes yeah 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 so I, I like how I'm just throwing in shit I half remember just to make it a bit easier on everyone. <laughs> so now it turns out that, you know, had Claire gone public with, you know, and, and demanded a pregnancy test of, of Tony Blair, that would have killed his career. So now it's also possible that Tony Blair did her, did his sister in with the Polish assassin. So wait, a, wait, wait a minute. Did this fucking, like, the world's greatest journalist here get to the end of his fucking book and not actually solve the crime? Yeah, pretty yeah, pretty much. much. You, you, more or less, he's he's he. What he's doing is he's leaving the door open to a sequel. Oh yeah, that's and, and I won't read it. I'm just going to put that. Out there now. <laughs> no, we Rob, are, I'm telling no, you now. No, I'm, we're not. Put, we're not doing this, and we we will not be I'm t- reading. I'm telling sequel. you to get a grip. I'm telling <laughs> you to get a grip. Like I'm serious. I would invite Rob to go further. <laughs> Anyway, so he's profoundly disturbed, of course, because even he was in, taken in by Tony Blair, Blair's magic and his charisma. Um, but now he's, yeah, a lot of people were. He's, he's on his way to um, the Labour, Labour Victory Party to confront Tony Blair and, uh, with his evil schemes and the fact that he got his sister pregnant. 
At the train yeah. station, I show my travel card and take the lift down to the platform. Or rather, two Gills will take the train. There's Gill on his way to put in an all-night stint covering one of the most important stories of the year, maybe the decade, the end of one party's long reign and the start of another's. With him is the Gill that has just entered his dead sister's nightmare. I know that my reporting will be exemplary tonight, because my hyper-focus is switched on in a crisis. Unless you have my kind of addiction to work. That's the ADHD talking again. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, there's a reason this feels familiar. And um... when I start fiddling, I takes me riddling. <laughs> um, <laughs> unless you have my kind of addiction to work, unless work is your drug of choice, you won't understand. I thought cocaine was his drug of choice. <laughs> work. I mean, for these people, it's the same fucking thing. <laughs> this this sounds like the NME wrote a novel. <laughs> it's just fucking dreadful, like. Yeah, I'd consider Robert Pesson an enemy. Yeah. <laughs> you won't understand how I can carry on having just fallen into Claire's hell. The thought of asking you for a timeout just doesn't occur. <sighs> so his big revenge on Tony is to, like, um... Write a little... He'll politely carry on doing his job. Yes, um, but he puts yep. a little... Um, <laughs> he puts a little paragraph at the end of like his reporting for the Financial Times saying, maybe this Tony guy isn't all he's cracked up to be. Got him. So, that's scathing. This, <laughs> that's so incredible. In, this is like the ultimate centrist fantasy where even in your own dreams, <laughs> you don't win. <laughs> 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 it's so incredible when you think of it like that yeah because he, he actually ends up getting owned basically. he gets up incredibly owned because you remember how it said that like the, the the murdoch deal was off and the whole empire was going sideways well it turns out it's not there's something terrible has happened tony blair and rupert murdoch and i i hate to tell you this they made a deal so Tony Whoa. Blair like buries the pension fund thing, so Murdoch can buy the TV channel, and then all will be well. I won't bother explaining how because it's too boring. I've always said Blair was a deals guy, and well, here you go. <laughs> Robert Peston has explained that in what? detail. This is extri- this reads like a novelization of the fucking newsroom. <laughs> yes. Because it doesn't it doesn't influence the outcome of any of the actual events that occur. It just sort of chronicles a bunch of random bullshit that happened around them. Yeah. <laughs> and says like, turns out I was right all along. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he'll just he'll have to he'll have to be satisfied with that being right. That's it. Well, I mean al- almost. Let me read you the, the um this is not the final paragraph, but it's almost the final paragraph. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> He's talking about the, the, the meeting where uh, uh, Blair and Murdoch came to an understanding. There's been a historic uh-huh. meeting. It won't be recorded anywhere. No one took a note. No one will ever talk about it. But it was a meeting that diverted the big river of Britain's destiny. It's <laughs> <laughs> a Thames, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. that, river, that river is composed entirely of piss. <laughs> <laughs> The pissing diarrhea river that is the Thames. Blair and Murdoch struck a bargain. Media Corp would back Blair and Labour full throttle in the sun, and the Labour government would repay, repay Murdoch by not stopping his takeover of the TV channel. Blair would suppress any initiatives to investigate the theft from pensioners so long as the hole in the pension fund was filled, which it will be now. 
Mm. Wow, we did it. Well done, everyone. We we solved the, the riddle of the tax thing. Yeah. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> like, what was it? It was like five billion or something. A uh, two billion. Yeah. Was it? Yeah. Two or five, I can't fucking two remember. Billion. <laughs> billion, billion. Yeah, it was it was it was it was yeah. Single was... single figgy billions. It's just like such fucking low stakes. It's it's fucking peanuts to a government, for real. Like it's a peanuts to the fucking rich guys who would have lost money too. Yeah. Like it's 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 fuck all basically. No one no one would have given a shit about it. It's such a it's so weird that this guy thinks this would have been such a fucking big deal that someone has to get assassinated over it. <laughs> it's the poverty of the imagination. It's, it's the fucking it- the lowest rent the lowest rent assassination ever as well, if you just hit someone with a transit man. <laughs> I mean even even the guy who tried to assassinate the Pope. Like at least at yeah. least there was a lot of like drama and conspiracy. Yeah, and at least that. like at least when the Russians try and assassinate people in in the UK, there's a lot more pizzazz. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, they do got style. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Imagine though. Imagine though, if being hit with with a van was like widely recognised as the most like efficient way of politically assassinating your opponents. And then like someone someone just gets clipped crossing the street and like fucking do you know what I mean? Like terrorist groups the world over are scrambling to claim fucking uh, responsibility <laughs> for it. <laughs> Al Qaeda claiming responsibility for it. Uh, I was the twenty fifteen uh, uh, the twenty fifteen election, Emily Thornberry like tweets out that photo of that one guy's house and is immediately like fucking lauded <laughs> for outing a terrorist training camp. <laughs> <laughs> We found the ISIS training camp in Lovers. Like, like I was I was um I was gonna say, isn't the most efficient way of assassinating people in the UK getting them to zip themselves up in a suitcase? Isn't that how we traditionally do it here? I think technically the most the most efficient way to like fucking assassinate like any member of the British public is to just tell them that like kids today kids are outside having fun and they'll just like fucking have a rage embolism 80% of the time. <laughs> the kids are on quad bikes again. They're pulling sick wheelies. Remember when you could do that? You're old now. That's, yeah. that's 100% what that is, by the way. I can, like, rem- I can remember once they, they built they built a fucking built a skate park not even in the village but like up a hill next to the village and um someone was complaining that kids were playing on the skate park like and it's like what the fuck man what do you you think it's for it's just it's just for like decorative purposes you're not meant to skate on it no (laughs) trying to like trying to fucking couch that shit like oh they might hurt themselves it's like yeah they know they fucking know yeah they're skateboarding they fucking know (laughs) trust me Imagine how many government advisors are buried in the foundations of that skate park, though. <laughs> Not enough. I killed about 12 myself. <laughs> <laughs> you could lure Pester into, like, an unmarked black van and, like, kidnap him with just a series of cashmere sweaters. I swear to fucking God. <laughs> I'm imagining now, what if Peston was in Saw? And, like, how confused would he be in a Saw movie? I appear to be trapped in some kind of elaborate contraption that will pull my arms off. Mm. I don't understand what's going on. This appears to be a bear trap, but it's already closed. The murderer has to replay the fucking video, like, six times. (laughs) Draw him a diagram instead. Jigsaw having to have it on a cycle. Be like, now, I put the key inside your eye. Your left eye. Do you see? Do you see? 
<laughs> just do you know what I mean? Pausing the pausing the video after repeat viewings, going for fuck's sake, and then disappearing <laughs> off back to his workshop to make glove puppet versions of the little doll. <laughs> <laughs> Also, uh, uh, Lil Coda to this novel, um, instead of Things Can Only Get Better, the song they used uh, for the New Labour uh, victory. It was, wait, wait, wait. Was it was it a Limp Biscuit song? No, I don't remember. It but was, it was. Uh, it was it, it, in the book, it's Blur's song too. <laughs> oh my god, oh, that's my that's god. song. <laughs> <laughs> I genuinely oh, fucking, I genuinely fuck off, repressed Robert. that because I was like, I, I, I think Corn had released their first album, so in my head it was a Corn song. <laughs> that would have been, that would have been way cooler. It's, it's a way too cooler reference for Peston to have remembered in '97. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That's 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 your that's your love for today. <laughs> don't yeah, buy that. Have me for something else. <laughs> yeah, don't we do will. Books. We will. No more yeah. books. Books. Books yeah, are banned. No more books. Do you want to do some plugs, Senan? Thank you, by the way, again for suffering through this shit with me. <laughs> no, it's no problem. But like next time, we gotta have a break. We can't do this like we can't do another book so soon. No, no, no. We'll, so like, we'll... have me on for something else, something fun, something I can like actually wrap my head around, like, and that doesn't melt my brain while I'm at the work factory, ignoring my job. But like I said, uh, I'm on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Crusader. I'm on YouTube. It's what is it? YouTube.com slash C slash SK the Crusader because YouTube insists on being really fucking difficult. Mm. Uh, we also got podcasts. Jamie's on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, it's Peace at Home. It's a podcast where I melt Jamie and Ben's brain about Turkey, which Who's is really by? good fun. Oh, the music's by Jordan, uh, I believe. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, we, we tried to get we tried to get Limp Biscuit to do it, but they weren't available, so we just turned to they Jordan. had to sell for song two instead. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's it, yeah. Uh, we, I think yesterday, assuming everything's been released on time, yesterday we would have released our latest episode on the new big guy in town uh, because the really big guy has died. Artistrick's dead. We're not going to hear from him again. Yeah. I've certainly... Ne- I never heard of the guy until we did the podcast. So, you know, that was uh, that was good. I'm also on Twitter. I'm at the Samancos. It's the only one that's really, like, radically different. But, yeah, go listen to Peace at Home and l- look out for our bonus next week because it's about turkish star wars yeah that was really fun absolutely that was banger that yeah it's a great film i stand by it being a great film it was made in defiance of god (laughs) but you'll find out you'll find out how that's the case you'll find out how in the bonus episode well all all movies are made in defiance of god that is their primary feature no but not like this one no not like this no this in particular is they basically spat in the face of God because he, yeah. God tried very hard to stop them <laughs> and it wasn't enough. David, we also do we want to do pluggy things? Uh, yeah, very quickly. Um, Twitch.tv forward slash Praxis Cash. Check us out on Thursdays. Not the day that's released though because we record the bonus. Uh, also, merch is praxiscast.tml.com and uh, patreon.com forward slash Praxis Cash for uh, bonuses, like I said. Um, yeah, subscribe. Yeah. Yeah, there you Buy go. Subscribe. Subscribe to the Patreon. Yes, and look forward to a bonus episode featuring uh, Jordan Hoops does the music for Peace at Home <laughs> and a couple other members of Com Radio. Oh yeah. yeah. We'll be doing a a joint two part cultural committee on <laughs> on Independence Day and Independence Day too. Uh so <laughs> Independence Day. Yes, yes. Uh yeah, catch you there. Yeah. Bye, bye. Bye. See ya. Bye. Yeah, see ya.